Hello, and welcome to Book Reviews Kill, a podcast about fantasy, sci-fi, and horror novels. I'm Evan. And I'm Chad. And I'm Effie. And today you're joining us for our recap and discussion of Golden Sun, book two in the Red Rising series by Pierce Brown. So, I was in my office editing before we sat down to record this episode, and my door was open, and Effie stormed into the doorway, shot me a very scathing look, then marched away without a word, and I knew she had finished this book. <laughs> Dude, and boy, did you deserve that look. Wow, I've forgotten the like the sword strike that this yeah. book ends with. Like, whoa. What'd you think, Effie? It felt like the Red Wedding all over again. I, I was yeah. very upset. Before going on, because I think you're going to answer my question and I don't, want, I don't want you to take it from me. So and I want to begin each podcast episode with you in it with this question, uh, which might sound a little cruel because I'm capitalizing on your emotions, but I'm doing it anyway. <laughs> I want to know, did this book make you cry? And if so, what point? And before you answer, I'll pave the road by saying this is the second time I read it and I did cry like multiple times. So don't feel like I'm mocking your feels because man, wow. I teared up. I actually didn't cry this time, which surprised me. you to cry. I just said I cried. I did. I felt, <laughs> I felt like I could have cried. I almost cried when Darrow was leaving his mom's house because it just sort of felt like he was more alone than he ever had been like he was like i shouldn't have come here but he also doesn't feel like he fully belongs with the golds and he's been like held at arm's length with the sons of aries for like a lot of this time and so it just felt like oh my god he doesn't belong anywhere <laughs> like an empathy cry interesting so not when victra used her last breath crawling towards him to be like it wasn't me i didn't oh, know no, yeah, that, yeah. that so made me really sad, sad. Yeah. that made me really sad not when we learned that his wife eo was pregnant oh, none of those times brutal. man i was weeping a lot more than I you think <laughs> <laughs> not ragnar everything not ragnar, ragnar did when, no when when ragnar was talking to mustang in that moment down in the mines that definitely was touching when when she was like what do you live for and he like oh my god yep was so he's great. so sweet okay so on the flip side of the cry question uh and evan i want to know this this your answer as well what were the highs the high points for you where you're like yes the iron rain baby yeah the, the whole iron time rain. the whole time that effie was reading this book i was just like uh is, has any has any iron been raining yeah, like where, where are you at? Has, has there been an iron rain lately? And if he's just like, what the fuck are you talking about? I have no idea. But then there was an iron rain. Did the oh, iron rain get you? The, the part where Darrow, I'm taking over this part no, of the no, conversation. Take it, take it. The, 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 the part where Darrow, it's funny because at the beginning of the book, he's like, I'm getting in this little contraption and I'm going to blow myself over there. I'm going to fuck them all up. <laughs> and then everyone's like, ah, it's not going to work. We can't do that. And and he's like, ah, damn. And then he finally gets to do it later on in the book. <laughs> gets to do it. It's so awesome. He's like, all right, we're blowing ourselves over there and we're going to crash through the ship and we're going to fucking kill everybody. Oh, yeah, and then we're going to really give this cool. ridiculous look speech. anywhere with a straight or else oh my, my neck will break. That's so awesome. Like, uh, he is, he just has one speed. He really does. It's just sad determination the entire time. <laughs> it's just he even says in the book, I wasn't made for these quiet times. You no, know? he's not. He's just, he's just like, let's go. Let's do it right now. I have my high points, uh, but I want to hear yours first, Effie. Definitely. 
I just finished this book like an hour ago, so I am kind of having a hard time putting my thoughts together about it. <laughs> I know I forced Steffi to get on this podcast like immediately because yeah, she was I like, I need time really... to process. And I was like, this is perfect. You're all flustered. This is going to oh, make for no such a great episode. <laughs> but no, I'm like too flustered. Yeah. I want to hear Chad's first, actually. <laughs> all right. All right. I'm sorry. Okay, so mine were two very close to each other. One was Darrow's speech and subsequent fight with Cassius during the dinner party at the beginning. He's like seizing his destiny. He says like, no, I will not allow the whims of others to paint the picture of my future. Nay, for better or worse, win or lose, I will seize the paintbrush of my destiny and paint the picture on my own. And then he quotes, uh, my name, gentle lords and ladies, is Darrow Aodromatus. My honor has been pissed upon and I demand satisfaction. <laughs> uh, he's so confident. Is she in her newest Olympic night? And why wouldn't she be? He killed me before. He's a prize fighter being pummeled by a back alley brawler. Did you think I came here to be killed? Did you think yourself entitled to my life? No, I came here to cut you down in front of your parents. And then he cuts Ooh. his freaking arm off. And then he cuts oh! His arm off. <laughs> oh, gosh. Okay, and then my other high was very close after that. And I'm really glad that I was reading this book alone, though I'm sure my neighbors were like, wow, he's a psychopath. But when Severo showed up outside of his room that he was captive in, in like the thunderstorm, and the quote is another flash of lightning, and he appears floating in the bitter storm like the ugliest angel ever shit out of heaven yeah. i literally stood up and howled i was just like Whoa! like oh i love that so much that was definitely one of my highs was seeing severo like i i felt i felt like i sensed him before it even was like set up yeah. that he was there i was like he's coming because he's like easily like my favorite i think he's everybody's favorite yeah. character that's what i'm he's seeing he's a bloody yeah. damn good character yeah <laughs> That and when we find out that Fitchner is Ares, I feel like it was more of a high for me because I was just kind of like, I fucking knew it. I fucking knew it. Did you know Did it? You? Were you were uh, you suspicious? I had been suspicious, yeah, for Interesting. a long wow. time. Okay, it looks like we have a bunch of stuff to talk about. So let's just get right into the recap and we can get we can we can start really talking about all this. Darrow is now a peerless scarred in the service of his enemy, Nero Al Augustus. During his final exam at the academy, Darrow loses a battle against Cassius's older brother, Carnus Al Bologna, resulting in hundreds of casualties and his release from Nero's service. Nero decides Darrow will be auctioned to another house at the summit, a gathering of the great houses on Luna. Without the protection of Augustus, Darrow is now vulnerable to the Bologna family, who has sworn vengeance for Darrow's murder of Cassius's brother, Julian. Awaiting the end of his contract, Darrow is approached by Victra al Juli, who leads him to the jackal, Adrius al Augustus, now exiled by his father. Adrius has created a telecommunications business empire, gaining him considerable influence, which he proposes to use to buy Darrow's contract. In exchange, for Darrow's assistance eliminating both the Sovereign and the Sons of Ares, placing the Jackal as the head of the society. While discussing their plans, Evie, a former pleasure slave of Mickey the Carver, enters the bar intent on assassinating the Jackal. Before Darrow can stop her, Evie sets off an explosion, and Darrow narrowly manages to save the Jackal. Darrow learns that Evie is working for Harmony, a leader of the Sons of Ares. Harmony reveals that his former mentor, Dancer, has died, but that Ares still has a mission for Darrow. 
The Sons of Ares have planted explosives all over the society, and Darrow has been tasked to set off an explosion at the summit. Darrow is hesitant, but is later convinced after Harmony shows a recording of Darrow's wife, Eo, speaking to her sister before she is executed. She asks her sister to hide a cradle from Darrow, revealing that she was pregnant when she died. Darrow's anger toward the society is reignited, and he accepts Harmony's assignment. Just before the summit, Darrow drugs his close friend, Roke, in order to save his life. He enters the gathering, but at the last moment decides not to set off the bomb. He devises a new plan. The best way to dismantle the society is not through violence among the colors, but through civil war among the golds. Darrow challenges Cassius, who has arrived with Mustang, to a duel. Cassius is bested by Darrow, who has been secretly training with Lorne Al Arcos. Darrow nearly kills Cassius, but is stopped by the Sovereign, Octavia Aulun, revealing her favor for the Bologna family by ending the fight on a technicality. Darrow then cuts off Cassius's sword arm, causing chaos to erupt and disrupting the Sovereign's plans to wipe out the Augustus family. A massacre ensues, and many prominent families are murdered by rival houses. Darrow narrowly escapes, but is taken into custody by Fischner, now an Olympic knight loyal to the Sovereign. The Sovereign proposes that Darrow enter her service. Darrow eventually catches her in a lie about her plans for the Augustans at the gala while Mustang is present. The Sovereign laments Augustus's insubordination and states he is to blame for the revolution sparked by executing Eo. She believes if the Arch-Governor of Mars is killed and replaced by the Bologna, there will finally be peace on Mars for all colors. Afterwards, Mustang alerts Severo, who organizes the Howlers and rescues Darrow and what remains of the Augustus family. They hold the Sovereign's grandson, Lysander, hostage to ensure they leave Luna safely, but not before Quinn, a loyal Howler and Roke's lover, is severely wounded by Aja Al Grimace, the Sovereign's deadliest fury. Before they escape, Darrow is betrayed by Tactus, who frees Lysander and returns him to the Sovereign. The Jackal performs surgery on Quinn, who is in critical condition. Now on the run and allied with House Augustus and House Telemannus, Darrow formulates a plan to defeat the Sovereign and the Bolognas, who now rule Mars. They attack the largest ship of the Sovereign's armada and incite the low colors in the crew to mutiny against the golds on board. During the chaos, Darrow obtains the service of a stained obsidian, Ragnar, and renames the ship the Pax after his late friend. The victory is bittersweet, however, when they return to find that Quinn has died. Her death drives a wedge further between Roke and Darrow. Later, Severo reveals to Darrow that he was contacted by Ares and knows Darrow was born a red. Darrow, convinced by a message from the still mysterious Ares and the still alive dancer, is overcome with emotion, grateful to share his burden and finally be honest with his close friend. Darrow then meets with Nero's council and claims they must obtain more ships in order to defeat the Sovereign. Pliny believes the only way to survive is to run to the farthest reaches of the solar system. Darrow believes he can convince his mentor Lorne to join the fight. He meets with Lorne, who refuses to join Darrow, claiming he is now a man of peace. Lorne then reveals that the Sovereign arrived before Darrow and provides him with a means of escape. However, 
Darrow is aware of the Sovereign's plans, telling Lorne that Roke has a host of ships lying in wait. Lorne is then forced to join Darrow as Aja and Tactus arrive with a squad of Praetorians. A fight ensues and Aja and Tactus escape. Darrow and Lorne pursue Tactus and after admitting he wants to come back to join him, Tactus lowers his weapon and embraces Darrow, but is then killed by Lorne for threatening his family. When they return to their fleet, Darrow learns that Pliny has betrayed them to the Sovereign and captured loyal house members. Darrow plans a rescue mission and storms Pliny's ship, convincing the Peerless Scarred guarding Pliny to join him or die. The Peerless Scarred then kill Pliny. Afterwards, the Jackal broadcasts that Darrow has called for an iron rain. Houses from all over the solar system flock to join Darrow's cause. Darrow stages a televised battle against the Sovereign. His army falls in an iron rain from the sky onto Mars. Aided by a group of loyal golds and greys, and Severo's contact with the Sons of Ares. Darrow invades the capital fortress, but is thwarted when a brown child acting as a decoy sets off an EMP blast, rendering their armor useless. Darrow's forces are overwhelmed. He manages to cut himself free of his suit and escape with Ragnar and Severo, rushing ahead of his allies to board the Sovereign's ship in an attempt to assassinate her. He manages to kill Carnus Albalona before being subdued by Aja. Fitchner, also on the shuttle, is ordered to execute Darrow, but instead escapes with Darrow and reveals that he is Ares. Darrow wakes from a coma and meets with Fitchner, who reveals why he became Ares and started the revolution. Fitchner explains to Darrow that he fell in love with a red and met with a carver who made it possible for his wife to conceive a child with a gold. She eventually gave birth to Severo, but the Board of Quality Control learned of their actions and, quote, disposed of Fishner's wife. Fishner then vowed to bring down the society and formed the Sons of Ares. Darrow learns that Roke and his fleet have defeated the Bolognas and the Sovereign, but Cassius and his mother have escaped. The Augustus family has taken back Mars, and Augustus plans to name Darrow his heir. Harmony has gone rogue, forming her own band of rebels against the society. She is captured by the Jackal, along with Mickey and other sons. Darrow visits Victra and the Jackal, presenting them each with a gift. Before the Jackal sees his, a disguised squad of Severo's men storm the Jackal's lair and free the prisoners. Mustang joins Darrow on a trip to Lycos. He gives her a holotape and asks her to watch, and if she understands, to enter his home. After a heartfelt reunion with his mother, Darrow finds that Mustang has disappeared. He encounters her in a mining tunnel where Mustang confronts him. She is prepared to kill him, but Ragnar intercedes, expressing his deep trust for Darrow, and Mustang leaves them kneeling in the dust. Darrow is hailed as a hero in a victory parade on Mars. Later, at a feast held in his honor, Rook presents Darrow with a gift in an ivory box. As Roke passes the box to Darrow, he injects him with a tranquilizer and calls him a traitor. Darrow realizes too late that the Sovereign has organized a coup. In the ensuing chaos, Lorne is murdered, Victra is shot in the back by her own sister Antonia, and the Jackal captures his father Nero. The Jackal explains to his father that he orchestrated this coup and confesses that he arranged the death of his older brother Claudius the more beloved of Nero's sons. 
As Nero angrily states he should have smothered the jackal in his crib, the jackal shoots him in the head. Cassius arrives, and the box Rook handed to Darrow is revealed to contain the head of Fichtner. It is stuffed with grapes, an echo of a long-ago betrayal by Nero Al Augustus of the Bologna family. Cassius tells Darrow that the Sovereign learned of his carving from the jackal and wishes to dissect him in order to learn how he became a gold. He swears to avenge his slain family members, claiming the Sovereign and her forces will hunt down and kill all who have opposed her. I gotta say, it was a pleasure to read that recap. <laughs> I loved going through all of that again. What a wild yeah. ride, Jesus. What a wild, this book is so huge in its scope. Like what most books would take three or four books to cover, I feel like this series knocks it out in one book. Like this book yeah. is wild. It's so it's much wild. stuff going on. Absolutely, utterly an insane ride from start to finish. Effie, overall general thoughts. What, what did you feel? What did you like? What did you didn't? Um, There was definitely a lot going on. I think even maybe too much going on. <laughs> it's not that I had an issue with the book. I just was surprised by how different I felt about it compared to the first one. Why did you feel different about it? Because there was so much going on. Like, yeah. I, it was so hard to like recover. Like it was just like, bam, 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 bam. And, and not only that, but with each new event, which is usually like some kind of like fight um or revelation or revelation yeah it, exactly it always came with a, this new revelation of a new betrayal or like a new triple crossing double crosser and and it's just like i couldn't it got to the point where sometimes i was just kind of like i don't even care about any of these people anymore because i couldn't trust anyone like everyone <laughs> uh, like everyone's betraying everyone but not everyone's betraying everyone who like people did not some betray someone. Vitra did not betray anybody. Severo, Severo, Severo didn't betray anybody. Darrow, Darrow did. Darrow betrayed well, yeah, Lorne technically. Did. Yeah, kind and of. Roke. Kind of. Yeah, Ed Roke. What was it? A betrayal, really? He just wanted to make yes. sure. Yeah. Well, he didn't he tell Roke. Stuff. Yeah. No, right. It's a betrayal. Yeah, yeah. But if if so, Darrow had told Roke what was going on, even in the slightest, look what Roke did at the end of the book. But do you think maybe Roke did it because? Okay. Darrow, yes. Okay. Let's talk it's about because... that. Because. Sure. <laughs> yeah, I caught myself. Sorry. Go ahead. I felt like I watched an entire season, the fifth season of Game of Thrones, in like the entire thing in just like a couple hours. Yeah. Like, yeah, you yeah, know what yeah. I mean? Like, it was just so many conversations and so many people leveraging and then manipulating and betraying and planning. And then not to mention, there was so many important plans or details about this book or about the story that were off page or like I'm finding out at the same time everyone else is finding out that like Darrow trained with Lorne that yeah. whole time like That's what the fuck where did that come what that caught you just as blind as it did yeah for sure and then, yeah. and then he did it again he did it again with Lorne on his island it was kind of lame because he goes to ask Lorne to join the fight 
Lauren says he doesn't want to. And then also, surprise, the sovereign's here and she's going to take you. But surprise, I already knew that. And I'm going to take you. And <laughs> yeah. That part was pretty a wacky. A double cross, a yeah. triple cross. <laughs> that part was pretty out of control. I see your betrayal and I betray you on top yeah. of that betrayal. Exactly. About a betrayal I already knew about. Yeah. <laughs> I bet I, you didn't that's... know I knew about this betrayal. And I, see I where didn't you're know. From, I yeah. didn't know about it either. So I'm like just as surprised as Lauren. Like, yeah. oh, did, what did you think about uh, Lorne killing Tactus when Darrow had said, like, OK, Aww. well, what if I just forgive you? Yeah, because, because that was so out of the blue for golds. Right. That made me really sad yeah. when he killed Tactus. No tears, though. Not no tears. Not that sad. Not <laughs> sad on, enough Chad. like that. We're not crying over here. Dude, like, man, I just cried a lot. I want you guys to cry with me. <laughs> well, it's like I feel like I had a hard time connecting with the characters as deeply in this one because of all of this betraying and like double crossing and stuff. And and you didn't trust anybody. I didn't trust yeah, anyone. I can see that. <laughs> okay, I want to I want to dig a little bit more into what we were just kind of hitting on, but because I think it's really important. Did Roke betray Darrow because he learned that he was a red? I, I think the answer is no to answer my own question. I think he did it because he didn't because Darrow didn't tell him he was a red and that was the final nail in the coffin. I think that it was the dishonesty that did it, not the fact that he was a red. What do you guys think? I agree. I think Roke probably wouldn't have betrayed Darrow if Darrow told Roke before Quinn died. Yeah, I think that when Roke realized that Quinn would probably be alive if it wasn't for Darrow, he would have probably betrayed Darrow if Darrow was a gold, you know, like a real yeah. gold. But the the red on top of that made it ten times easier. Worse. Yeah, it made it easier it in his own mind. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I think if Quinn hadn't died, I think Roke probably would have looked past like being drugged before some stuff went down at a gala you know what i mean like he was annoyed yeah. about that he seemed frustrated because darrow didn't want to open up to him the, then his lover died and he put together that this is all darrow's like machinations you know and he's a red so it's time for darrow to go i think that as soon as darrow drugged roke their relationship was over oh okay. it, that's how i felt because just like a year or two before when they were in the Institute, he was like there through war with him. They yeah. went through war together. It was and the then, beginning of the end. And then he drugs him and his excuse is that he didn't want him to get hurt. If I was Roke, who's really smart, like one of the smartest people in the whole story. Absolutely. He, he'd be like, what the fuck? No, like whatever that was, I can't trust it. Like why would Darrow drug him to protect him after all they had already been through? Right. After he'd seen Roke in a bunch of dangerous situations. Yeah, that's so right. shady. Roke even says, you don't it's get to make the shady. decision for me. Yeah, so know? it's like he lost yeah. respect for him then. And then when Quinn died, he was like, oh, I'm done with this fuck guy. This guy. Yeah. <laughs> Which is unfortunate, right? Because it was all kind of a misunderstanding that Darrow had to tell him in order to protect his true identity. Because Darrow did that he because he did it to him. save his life because he was going to blow the place up, right? One of my favorite parts of the entire book is when Darrow and Roke are talking. And Roke says, I would die for you, but would you die for me? Yeah. Oh, man. And Daryl can't. He can't die for him. He, and, but he lies, right? Mm -hmm. But does he lie to Roke? I can't remember. Yeah, he's like, of I course I does. would. Yeah, yeah, but they both oh my know God, he's totally. lying. But yeah, exactly. Because Daryl <laughs> wouldn't die for any of these people. No. Yeah. Wouldn't you, I don't think Daryl would even die. He wouldn't die for Mustang. He wouldn't die no. for Severo. And but this it's is not because he's selfish. No, but it's, be, but it's like, 
okay, so there's a part in this book a little bit later where Darrow starts to really realize how complicated the gold society is and how complicated the people in the gold society are. In my opinion, this book is all about stressing Darrow's relationships that he's made and having Darrow really look down the barrel of this revolution gun and decide to pull the trigger on everything that he's established over the last few years, like real connections that he's made. I think Darrow doesn't know if he would die for Severo or if he would die for Mustang. And he's probably grappling with the idea that he probably wouldn't. And it's got to be tearing him apart. But only because he knows that his life represents more than just his own life, right? It's, it's, he's the face of this rebellion. If he dies, there's no one to lead the charge. There's no um, representative for this revolution. He knows that he is larger than himself, which is why he wouldn't die for those people. I think if that was removed, he absolutely would die for them. I feel like this book was kind of all about taking Darrow down a peg. Because I feel like the first book was all about how amazing Darrow is and how he was this amazing hell diver. Like he's like the youngest or like one of the youngest. Everyone loves him. He's got this wife who loves him. His whole family is so great. They sing songs and stuff. And then he dies and he's like the only person to successfully turn into a gold. And not only that, but like he does like swimmingly, you know, like he's just like crushing it. And then and then he goes to the Institute and he gets like one question wrong. And then he's like he's drafted 10th out of like thousands or whatever. You know what I mean? Like he was just like just win after win after win. And he and then he goes into the Institute and he becomes Primus. He's like friends with all the top people. They, he ultimately storms Olympus, which is the first time anyone's ever done that. And he wins the whole thing and becomes Augustus's right-hand guy. And so it's right, just like, the what the fuck? So it's like everything that he built up in the entire first book was like systematically torn down. I don't really agree. I mean, I feel like the mistakes that he made was that he was like too loyal. He was too trusting in his friends, but like he proved himself time and time again to continue to be a super badass this (laughs) entire book. No, definitely. I mean, he is talented and he is like, he is all those things, but like as a reader reading a story, I'm like, this cannot last. Like there's something afoot because like something afoot. (laughs) I know we want to get into the nitty gritty here with some of the ending stuff, but I just want to know, Effie and Evan, did you like this book more or Red Rising more? I enjoyed reading Red Rising more. Let me say that again. I enjoyed Red Rising more. Really? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Wow. That's crazy to me. Like this book was not my favorite book by like in the history, like all of books, but all of book kind, but like, it's definitely like cuddling up next to it and like it it brushes the hand of my favorite book list and the popcorn bowl like occasionally when they're sitting there snuggling like it's it's I think this is there. like probably one of my top 10 favorite books of all time. <laughs> like this book is incredible, yeah. Well, like I what I mean was I enjoyed reading Red Rising more. I had more I had like more fun and I felt more interested and I felt more connected and like close to the story and it was engaging. This one I can tell is a better story. More things are being told. I'm seeing a bigger picture. It's a really good book. I just enjoyed reading Red Rising more. Did you feel like Red Rising was more focused? Did you feel like you were able to kind of 
stick with what the narrative was a little bit easier not 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 even necessarily the word easier here but um did you feel like you were connecting more with the sequence of events and the emotions and the character oh yeah yes definitely i think um do you think that might have anything to do with your inexperience with reading um these kinds of books oh yes definitely (laughs) (laughs) like (laughs) probably i'm glad we didn't start with malazan personally yeah oh my gosh yes. okay so not only does this book make the leap from like controlled battle royale among school children to full-out intergalactic war but it also covers like the fight for the future of everything and darrow's internal struggle and it's not just of like him as like one man it's that of a or, or even that of a single tribe of reds or like a powerful gold family his choices mean the future of the revolution and the fate of every human soul scattered across the solar system and I find a comparison in that it's not unlike the jump in scale from the Hunger Games to Catching Fire and Mockingjay as we go from game to bloody uh... full-scale war and then to revelation, revolution. Did you, and that being said, did you also like the Hunger Games, the first one, more than the second and third one? Because we talked about you liking them a lot in the first. Podcast. Yeah, the third one was, I think, my least favorite. I think it's everybody's I... least favorite. Yeah, yeah. for sure. But something, the second one, I actually, it was kind of the same feeling. I le- like, I enjoyed reading Hunger Games more. And, I, and I'm thinking about it. And I think it's because like with both Katniss and Darrow, I'm like with them the whole time in that first book. Like I'm learning everything as they're learning it. I'm discovering the same things as them with them. And I'm like part of their journey. But the second ones in both series, there were so many parts that were off page or like kept from them. And so I just didn't feel like I was as connected to the story. I didn't feel like I was as much of a part of it as so much as like trying to figure it out. Typically, when you read um, like these kinds of series, uh, Chad and I have noticed this. I noticed this uh, before we even started the podcast, and I know that Chad did too. But what seems to happen a lot of the time with uh, with trilogies, and I think that I don't know if Pierce Brown was planning on writing books four and five and six and seven as he was writing this trilogy. But the thing with a lot of the trilogies that you'll read is that the first book is very solid. It's Banger. it's it's a awesome book and then sometimes not all the time this isn't necessarily a rule but sometimes the second book now takes what the first book did and it starts expanding on it in order to have a sort of climactic third book and so the second book can feel like you're getting a lot of stuff dumped onto you in order to it's almost like reading a standalone and then a duology we call we've coined it the second book blues because lots of times the second book because it's expanding the world and the characters and the relationships and everything it's just kind of it's lost in the doldrums but it's also trying to tell its own contained story as the second entry so it's it's grappling with a whole lot because uh in order to kind of like reach that final climax of three whole books you then have to do that much more work in what would kind of be this the first act of the second act of this trilogy you know so it's <laughs> i was kind of thinking about it too when you when you started this book because i know that it just really starts heaping a lot of different stuff on you um especially when compared to the first book when it's you know it's really just this is darrow's situation and now he's going to this like school this is contained now he's in this area yeah. he's in this institute this is contained we're watching him do all <laughs> the this containment stuff. Yeah, it's, it's, it's contained and then you know and and it very much it really does expand out in this in the second book uh, i think that now that you're going into the third one though i think you're probably i hope that you're 
probably prepared for the consistency at which this series is probably going to keep expanding like do you feel comfortable with that now that you finished the second one oh yeah i feel comfortable with it i understand the function of a second book in a in a trilogy in the same way that i understand like filler seasons and tv shows sometimes they have those though this wasn't that no no no. oh yeah i misspoke it's not a filler it's it's <laughs> Chad's like <laughs> defending golden <laughs> wait, 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 no, no you're, you're right that was this. like i was being very like hasty with my no words. you're allowed your own opinions that's okay <laughs> of course but that's not my opinion is that <laughs> okay. i don't it's not a filler book what i mean is like when you're trying to bridge the gap between two big points Sometimes it's a really long, windy, twisty bridge. Like yes. sometimes it doesn't just go straight over there. This is that for sure. Yeah. There's a term in like learning how to write stories out and stuff uh, with regard to story structure, right? Where you've kind of got, you know, your introduction, your inciting incident. Uh, you're kind of like introducing everything. You're laying everything out, right? Um, and then on the other side of that, you've got your climax and falling action and resolution, mm -hmm. right? But in the middle... Did you called, watch my podcast episode? It's called it's <laughs> it's called fun and it's called fun and games, right? And this whole book is fun and games. <laughs> yeah, for sure. This whole book is just taking what was established in the first one and throwing it all over the wall. And so the third one's all business. Um, I don't there's, remember. There's, there's quite a bit more fun and a quite a bit more games to be had. <laughs> but, <laughs> and then there's a fourth and fifth one, which I honestly can't even really imagine what those are going to be about. Let's get back to uh, some of the events that are in this book, though. I don't know. This is more of a statement. I'll try to make it a question. And that, do you guys agree that Darrow is kind of a sucker for drama? Like, who the <laughs> hell would want to combine the two ginormous events of telling his mother he is alive and the catching and catching her up in the last few years of his life with oh the God. revealing of his being a red and like <laughs> I'm trying to overthrow your entire situation, no, including really, your dad who like killed my wife. Like, why would he want to par those those two times? Because he's an moment. idiot. Yeah, he is. Wow. <laughs> like, what did you think was going to happen? I think that, and I'm sure both of you would probably agree with me here, but I think that Darrow got to a point with Mustang where he felt that he couldn't keep lying to her anymore. There, right. It wasn't going to work. Like, he wasn't going to be able to do this anymore without telling Mustang the truth. And obviously, if Mustang reacts negatively, it's going to be really, really bad, but it will definitely be really bad if he keeps flying to her that's at yes. least what i thought his mentality was in his mind the way that he'd be able to do this the best would be to do it in a place where he can kind of like show uh, for lack of a better word kind of like guilt trip mustang you know yeah, he little, kind of like yeah, brought yeah. her down there he's like look how fucking shitty it is down here like it's, it's like pretty why. bad you know it's pretty awful um i do and also i don't know if this was Dar darrow's reasoning necessarily but i did like that he was able to go down to lycos check everything out still pose as a gold and basically say to the leaders in lycos like you need to make sure everybody here is really comfortable like you're not producing enough helium three just give them all the food and everything they want and make sure they're all taken care of I have some thoughts on that, but before, okay, like, <laughs> but, before back but to the Mustang thing. That's what I thought. Yeah, go ahead. Why would he only show her via hollow, like a picture? Because he's assuming an of him idiot. Being <laughs> and then, like, well, not stick around for the inevitable line. list of follow-up questions she's definitely going it's, to have. It's kind of a throwaway line. He's just like, 
I just I couldn't tell her myself. You know, like, I just oh I had to do her show her on the tape because I'm like, I'm if, just too much of a coward. If you asked me to set up a situation more prone to failure and ending in Mustang's confusion and like running away and like <laughs> yeah. that thing that absolutely happened, I couldn't have thought of one better. Like, what are you kidding me, Daryl? Maybe he thought that she wouldn't believe him. Maybe, well, but see, still stick there's, around. Yeah, there's a different way of doing that. Like, have the discussion, and then if she's like, I don't believe you, then show it to her while remaining in the same room as her. Right, now, like, come in and meet my mother. After <laughs> yeah. Surprise, and then, crazy. And then it's, like, such a shocked Pikachu moment when he, like, walks out, and he's just like, where did she go? What the... <laughs> that was silly. Yeah. No, I agree that yeah, that was... That's pretty dumb. And that's what I mean. That was like one in a long line of events that knocked Darrow down inside. You know what I mean? Like he gets so comfortable and he starts to feel like invincible or like like he is a god or something or like the chosen one. And the but then it I turns mean, out put he... yourself in his place. Okay, I see where you're coming I mean, from, Effie. You know what I mean? Like you're saying it's it's hubris. Exactly. It, yeah. It's like a, a humility. It's a it's a vibe check. You know, it's like a sure. But I mean, imagine, though, if you had been in this position and like you're just shooting nothing but three pointers over and over swish, and over swish, again, swish. you know, I mean, like up until the end of this book, everything that he's tried to do has kind of to to a certain extent worked in his favor. He's He's pretty yeah. much, I mean, he's, he, there's been some flubs along the way, right? But like nothing that bad has really happened to him yet. Like, you know, I mean, Tactus died, but that wasn't really Darrow's fault, really. I think I mean, he's like, a romantic at heart. And he was like, our love will overcome anything. So, okay, <laughs> maybe. I, I want to get into uh, one thing I really liked about that was, and you mentioned it a little bit, but I stopped you. But now I'm going to let you <laughs> pontificate more. So when Darrow came back to see everything he like there's two things that i really like one was his memory of his dead wife eo and like his growth there and him admitting that like she wasn't perfect their relationship wasn't perfect and it wasn't the example of like perfect love that he's made it out to be in his mind like they fought she could be petty and mean the relationship wasn't perfect um like his memories kind of tricked him into and the second thing i really liked was when he visited his own um town and his views of Dan, like the manager over the dig site, I'll, I'll quote, he says, I wanted them to be terrible, hideous monsters, but they aren't. They're petty men who ruin lives and don't even notice how many others are like them. The ba- the banality of evil. And it was like really cool and and pretty deep, I think, that he and, and wise that he came to those conclusions. That's what's so interesting about Darrow is that at times he can be one of the wisest people in the room. <laughs> And then most other times he's just a big idiot. Like he's just like, (laughs) he's just all emotion. Like you said, he's all, he's one speed. He's just like, he just does things. And, and it turns out that when you're like 20 years old, you don't know anything really. You're kind of, you're still kind of dumb. (laughs) Okay. So before we leave Darrow's visiting of his past, did you guys find it at all weird that his mom like kind of chastised him for trying to free the miners and let them live in truth when she was like, did you ever pause to think what else we would do if we lived on the surface? Like yeah, silly men. I, I was didn't like, like what that. The fuck? Would you prefer that your people live in slavery and awful conditions? Like at least give them the what? chance, the choice to live in truth. But like, she was like, should you be doing what you're doing? I was like, what? That whole paragraph, like her talking to him and being like that that moment exactly was 
maybe one of my favorite moments of the whole book. Oh, really? Explain. It was one of them because it was like a very important thing for him to think about, like yet another important thing that he needs to think about that he couldn't because of his narrow perspective based on him being so young and inexperienced, but also tunnel vision, you know, like he like has this one track that he's always on. Right. And he started thinking about after because of yeah, that. And, I and, and so yeah. she's like, hey, there's like all this other stuff going on. If you yank all these people up and you free them, it's like she was asking really good questions. Like, what do you do then? Like, are you just going to have fun being free, y'all? Or like, are you going to like think it through and like think about what's actually best for these people, like mentally and like their needs being met? I want to push back just like a tiny bit against this. And I might even I don't even know if I'm I don't even know if I'm going to totally keep it. But keep it, it gave me it gave me like house elves are happy as slaves and and it would be an unkindness <laughs> for them now you're convincing me the other way <laughs> like what effie's saying makes a lot of sense and in the sense that darrow needs to think this entire thing through where are these people going to end up are you going to structure the society once you've toppled it yeah thinking about their future yeah but the way that it read yeah kind of gave me like weird house elf vibes same like, that's they didn't it didn't read to me like that was the conversation they were actually Man, having you guys are so like, good at this everything like <laughs> effie i was like i fully agree you convinced me of your position but then evan i was like are you convinced so yeah i agree and to summarize i think all of our points here is that while his mother's exact words may have come off a little bit like what that's weird the yeah. outcome Effie's of it right. what, what right. it did yeah was yeah. it made darrow broaden his thinking and include what happens after i destroy exactly this? she yeah. was like darrow, i don't think she was straight up right. saying <laughs> yeah. i don't think she was straight up saying like no don't free us we yeah. like being slaves like she was saying like while you're doing all this, keep their futures in mind. Like, keep yeah. all of this other stuff. Like, it's not just kill the bad guys, topple the regime. Like, she what? Had a weird it's way like, of saying it, though. I will say. It, yeah. No, her <laughs> delivery was, you know, but she was she wasn't prepared for that speech. Right. I think she handled it pretty well, her. honestly. Yeah. I think his mom was. Uh, it was that was a very heart wrenching scene because she recognized him immediately, mm -hmm. and yeah. nobody else did. Like he had, he had plenty of opportunity to get recognized and nobody could tell who he was. What really got me though, right in the gut was when his niece came downstairs. Mm -hmm. Oh boy. Yeah. That was rough. That was, yeah. uh, what did his mom say? Something like something about how, like, cause she was just like, his niece was just like, what Darrow, he's dead. <laughs> yeah. He's super dead. And she was like, I was talking to him, his memory, because he will always yeah. be loved. Or she said oh, something like very like, right, right in the oh field. She God. said she was praying for his soul. That's right. And then, yeah, she was like, why would you do that? He's dead. And then she's like, they can still hear that we love them. Let's talk favorite characters here. And I'm going to begin because I have kind of a long quote that you guys, I'm going to force you to humor me to read. Because sure. it's so good. Let's okay. hear it. So one of my favorite characters is Ragnar, and I'm going to read you guys the introduction to him because I love him so much. The cameras in the hall outside the bridge door relaying a scene of horror. It, he, ran at them from behind as they prepared to make entry onto the bridge. An obsidian, but larger than I have ever seen. But it is not just his size, it's how he moves. A dread creature, stitched from shadow and muscle and armor, 
flowing, not running, perverse, like looking at a blade or weapon made of flesh. This is a creature that dogs would flee, that cats would hiss at, one that should never exist on any level beyond the first tier of hell. He smashes into the kill squad from behind with two pulsing white ion blades extending out of his armor, three feet from his hands. The grays he simply runs through, crushing them into the walls with his shoulders, splintering their bones. Then he starts the real killing. It's so savage, I have to look away. The Heatro continues melting the door of its own accord, and in its center forms a hole. Through it, I can see men and women dying. Blood sizzles on the overhead metal when the stain is when the stain is done, he is bleeding from a dozen wounds, and there is only one gold left. She stabs him with the razor, piercing the dark armor through the breastplate. He twists his body, locking the blade in, and then clutching it when she lets the blade relax into a whip. Then he grabs her helmet, her gold armor glittering under the hall's lights. She tries to escape. She tries to scramble away, but like a lion with a hyena in its jaws, he simply squeezes. When she is gone, he lays her gently on the ground, now that he has brought her a good death. Severo involuntary st- Severo involuntarily steps back from the door. Mother mercy. And that's where I'll end his introduction. <laughs> so good. Yeah, so Ragnar good. is the best. Um, I really, really love the part with Ragnar where they're uh, they're kind of like storming the capital city in Mars, and then Darrow puts a razor in Ragnar's hand. Oh yeah. And, yeah. Uh who is it that freaks out about it? I can't remember her name. It's one of the howlers. Yeah. Uh, she is very upset about it. And I love Severo, who's just like, I don't give a fuck. Like, give them all. Yeah. And he just starts, like, putting razors in other yeah. people's hands. <laughs> so good. That was really amazing. But, yeah, Ragnar is fantastic. I, there were multiple points during this book where I really thought Ragnar was going to just defect. Not necessarily kill Darrow, but leave like i i really thought that like yeah okay he's this is too much it's 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 so overwhelming for ragnar to be going mm-hmm. through this and it's it's great too because you know he's a giant weapon right you know mm-hmm. i mean like he's he shows so much emotion through the process of what darrow's trying to get him to understand and it's just so well done i love it I was going to say, do you think, because I loved Ragnar too, like his relationship with Darrow kind of in some ways felt like a more mature relationship of Darrow and Pax. Hmm. And I was wondering if Pierce Brown like kind of replaced Pax. 100%. with, With Ragnar because it was like he didn't want to kill off Pax. Um, is what I was reading. I was reading that he like drew a name out of a hat, and it and it came out as Pax, and he was like, "No, yeah. <laughs> like, he didn't want to do it." And so it's like I feel like he did an even more beautiful, like he replaced version. Pax with, with yeah, Ragnar. Yep. yeah, yeah. No, I I one hundred percent agree. Do you guys think? Okay, so Evan, you touched on something that's like really cool and deep. So like Ragnar says, when Darrow's trying to convince him to be free. And he says, mortals who, die, mortals who plan die a thousand times. Those who obey it die but once, which is a very good statement for someone trying to convince themselves to just be a follower. Because it's true. Once you are free and you are not only free uh, to do what you want, but you're free. You, you know have the knowledge that you are at stake for your own decisions, right? You have to claim not only the good ones. Yes, they're your victories, but the bad ones are your defeats. And so it's like a... It's a really unsafe place to be because you are the uh, administer of your own future, right? And so it's like very 
easy to be like, no, I just want to follow somebody. And if I die once, I die once. Like, But if you plan, you die a thousand times every time your plans don't go the way you want them. Do you guys think it was wise to tell Ragnar, like kind of like a veritable child in the ways of this world and not knowing what the consequences of Daryl revealing his past to him could be? That Daryl revealing his past, like, do you think that was smart of him to do? I mean, I think he could have waited a little bit longer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I feel like he met him 10 minutes before he told him. Straight up. That was pretty surprising. <laughs> like, he just he just trusts people, that. like, way too yeah, quickly. Yeah, maybe follow it up with, like, a, but don't tell anyone, Ragnar, because, like, that's this is super not cool if yeah, he anyone didn't even else finds out. He was just like, I, I trust him. I think Darrow <laughs> is absolutely disgusted at the idea of anybody following him uh, that felt like they had to. He's he can't go forward with his plans while having slaves under him. Like because it, not only is it just kind of like gross to him because he was a slave, but it's gross to him because the society that he's trying to topple are the ones that employ these kinds of slaves, and he's trying to be better than that. So, kind of working backwards from that, Darrow wants the stained. He wants the obsidians. Maybe not more than that, but just as much as that, he wants Ragnar to be free because he absolutely abhors slavery. And I think that in Darrow's mind, him telling Ragnar, you should be free, isn't going to work. Like, that's not that kind of reasoning right. isn't going to work with Ragnar. But what might work, and I think what, he's been tricked. I think what what's going on in Darrow's mind is like, what might work is coming to Ragnar's level mentally and saying, I know exactly what it's like to be like you or if not exactly because i think the the obsidians have a pretty bad deal too it's like a whole yeah. different thing um but i think what darrow is trying to do is say i'm not trying to tell you what to do i'm trying to tell you i understand you and if you understand that i understand you these are all the things that i'm trying to do yeah it was a little bit early but i don't think ragnar would have ragnar wouldn't have joined darrow in the way that darrow needed ragnar to join him yeah it's like if he knows he that hadn't he said that can't be the reds only he has to get the other colors to join him and so it right. was a it was definitely a defining moment i just thought it was like a little bit jumping the gun maybe you know like wow it was yeah, risky he probably could have had uh ragnar i don't i mean it's just like with mustang it's like darrow doesn't want to go another second doing the things that he's doing in yeah. the way that he's doing them you know what i mean like he it really has... rolls those dice i know <laughs> but it's yeah. like he, it's like um it's like what ray fine says in the end of in bruges before he kills himself you know you have to stick to your principles <laughs> yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> just, like what is all of this for if you're not going to be consistent with your principles like what is the point of all of this if you're only going to be as bad as the people you're trying to take down you know and, like he he has to do it this way he doesn't totally i would argue he doesn't really have a choice i mean no no I, mean, I, guess... I think you're right what seems riskier now with that like thought in mind um is the way that he is making all these interpersonal relationships with all these other people all these other golds like he's getting like really emotionally invested in all of their lives and like yeah. he's like falling in love with mustang i feel like now <laughs> like really that's riskier than him telling ragnar that they share oh a thousand like, percent you know what i mean <laughs> knows like, he's gonna yeah. have to betray them yeah yeah, yeah and, right. and not only is he gonna have to betray them but also it sets it sets them up to betray him yeah which they do which they do right yeah well, no, to you be fair to be totally fair none of what darrow has told other people has is what's actually gotten him in trouble at the end of this book 
like it seems like he's being stupid but if I mean, if you look at the events of this book none of the information he's revealed to these other people on his side led to him being captured at the very end you know like the yes, thing that led friendships well, weren't as strong like yeah. at the beginning of this book than at the end so it's like I, f- I totally agree with you at the end of this book but like at the beginning he was still like developing friendships with people that he knew he was going to have but, to okay, betray so, them. But, but, but then by the but end, who did he tell? But who did he tell? on the laurels of his friendship. He told Severo, he told Ragnar, right. and he told Mustang. That's it. That's the only people he told, right? Yeah, and he was two of and, three. And it wasn't stupid to tell Severo because Severo showed him proof that Severo was working alongside the Sons of Ares. And Though then... Severo made him prove it, which was cool, or say it first, which I like. Yeah. Yeah, that was pretty cool. Yeah, yeah that was really, but, really cool. cool. <laughs> um, but I think Darrow already had a feeling anyway. But you're right. Totally. It was uh, Darrow could have probably stood up and been like, "I'm out of here. I don't know what you're talking about. Whatever. Sorry." Yeah. Uh, but Severo also told him, "If you don't tell me right now, I'm gonna leave." Yeah, was, like was, forever. Yeah. <laughs> if you don't trust me, yeah, I'm then out. I'm out of here. Um, but then when he tells Ragnar, there's nobody else around, and then Ragnar doesn't betray him or do anything like that. And then when he tells Mustang, Mustang is not. We we find out at the end of this book that. The reason that Darrow was ultimately found out, it's because the jackal took harmony, right? And yes. that's that's how the jackal found out. Am I right uh-huh. about that? Which is creepy as fuck. Super because creepy. when Darrow is sitting there with Victra and yeah. the jackal, the jackal already knows he that Darrow is out. a red. What? I think he had just yeah. found out. Oh, yeah. Just then. When Darrow is like, he's like acting you yeah. know he's uh-huh. like oh who was yeah. that ja- the jackal was also acting yep. and was like oh yeah yeah, yeah that's jackal crazy knew. but not only yeah. that the jackal had like found out like four minutes before that because he's a total psychopath yeah what a psychopath not to mention all that but the jackal also bided his time so yeah. that he could do this coup in the way that he wanted to do it because he could have taken darrow out right then or at least like exposed him because he's you know he's he could have like whipped out his phone or whatever and filmed Darrow. yeah yeah he doesn't actually care no but he yeah exactly because the jackal doesn't give a shit that Darrow that darrow is a is a red he doesn't care about anything he cares about (laughs) what he can gain out of this and i think that when the jackal found out that darrow was a red he kept it to himself and he was like you know what i bet i I could use this this. (laughs) i bet i could use this to shoot my dad in the fucking face (laughs) yeah dude yeah so oh man wild. okay before we get into that ending because wow i answer my question if it wasn't other than ragnar did you guys have any favorite characters that was beyond because for me it's ragnar and then a close second was actually victra and Severin. victra was great yeah yeah victra i like victra awesome. she was really cool because she was like consistent her well that's why actually that's why Severo is so cool too Severo and victra are actually weirdly similar <laughs> i would say Severo. i i personally like Severo more but i think victra had a cooler like situation in this book i think does she like, die we didn't know for show sure her dying that's it's so just brutal when she's reaching on. out to darrow and saying like I, she's still trying to convince everybody that yeah she, that's what like she's like i'm not my oh, my oh my god yeah that's so sad yeah, like so and her sister yeah antonia sucks yeah uh, sucks. her whole rest of her family sucks but with her last breath she was yeah. trying to let Darrow know, like maybe her last breath. Well, yeah, maybe did she die? Because like, if think she... she, I don't think it shows her dying. Who knows? But if she, it just said that she closed her eyes, but it didn't say like she was dead. And so now I'm worried because it's like if she does die, or if she doesn't die, rather, she won't be on Darrow's side. 
because she'll be like, oh, that guy was a red. That shit was crazy. Why was I trying to oh, get his maybe. trust? Oh, my God. I think that they're, <laughs> like, like we talked about in the episode previous, uh, these people are a lot more complicated than Darrow thought they were. They're, com- they're more complicated than we thought they were. Mustang didn't kill Darrow. Man, m- that thing with Mustang kind of bummed me out. Sure. Let's hear about it. Because like, so earlier in the book, she's talking about how she had gone through while on the moon luna loon mm-hmm. while she was there she had like read about how golds and reds or other colors basically had fallen in love and like tried to be together in the past but it was great foreshadowing by the way yeah but it, they're usually written out of history so that there's like very few examples and they always end really badly and so then she thought it was so romantic and brave when people were together because they always thought they were like the first ones because mm-hmm. they didn't know all these other instances of it and so she was like that's so brave and cool and then she's like you're a fucking red what the <laughs> fuck <laughs> okay let me <laughs> okay you go first Evan. <laughs> i understand uh why that's frustrating for you babe uh also but... i really loved the voice that was like <laughs> yeah but, but also i mean like mustang had her reasons for thinking that was romantic those reasons are really valid also darrow is trying to kill her entire family so right it's yes. yeah so i mean it's yeah. different it, this point. is a different situation i mean it's not that <laughs> mustang is Luna how much her yeah. family means to her yeah like, i mean like on. mustang True. isn't like oh you disgusting hobo right no. like your story no. ends with my family being yeah, dead. yeah exactly yeah yes. true yeah if darrow and mustang had met it sounds like mustang would have been really into it you know just if darrow was just like the skinny dude from lycos you know like well, not trying to kill her father <laughs> yeah that i think that has a lot to do with it but another big ick that i had was that she was with cassius at the beginning of the book and she's in her Honestly, her flimsy excuse of like, it's to protect my family. It's like, (laughs) what? You were like with him. You were like dating him. Like you guys had fun together. And like, you guys like, fucked. like, you know what I mean? Like, it's like they even knowing everything that he did, Cassius, like even knowing how he tried to kill Darrow and like got pissed on at the institute like she was still like no it's just to protect my family and that that just honestly that made me like respect her less i'm not saying that she needs to be loyal to darrow it's fine if she dates other people even if it is cassius but like i thought that excuse was weird it's like if you want to date him like just date him like you don't have to be like i'm trying to save my family by dating our sworn enemy's son and it's like how is that (laughs) okay let me take this one (laughs) Sure. <laughs> I think that it started with what she said. Like, I'm trying to destroy my enemy by dating a son, get it on the inside. But I think, and I think this shouldn't let you bring your opinion of Mustang down. It should let you bring your opinion of Cassius up because I think it started with her, what she said. But I think she actually did develop some feelings for him because, like, Cassius, though he's on the other side, he's like actually a pretty good dude inside. Like, he's got some really redeemable qualities. And while he ha- unfortunately has found himself on the he Darrow has is on his shit list, so to speak. Um, and there's no coming back from that, at least not yet. Uh, he's like a pretty good person. And that's why it hurts Darrow so much when he first sees Mustang, where he's like, Oh, if like Mustang is with him, it means that she actually cares for him. And like 
he is a good guy he's just like an enemy of mine unfortunately so i think that right. she fell for him actually because he's like not the worst but she didn't say any of that she was like no, no i swear <laughs> ew. Yeah. ew never gross ew, what gross no uh, i was like man like if she's all about honesty just like tell him you thought he was cute like damn <laughs> I'm with you. Okay, so let's talk about the Jackal, because I think he is, well, not like my favorite character, because I hate him so much, the <laughs> bloody damn Jackal, but he is, I I'm way more excited for the story that he is the villain over Nero, because he's such a better villain. Yeah. He's like Lex Luthor, right? Lex Luthor was such an effective villain for Superman, because Lex literally has no superpowers compared to Superman, who has all of the powers, but Lex continuously almost defeats him because he's way smarter than Superman and he fights on levels that Superman doesn't understand or at least like doesn't immediately think about being the creature of like physicalness that he is and I feel like just I could like Lex Superman well yeah you just need some crypto but I mean you know he's like way OP'd he's so yeah, overpowered yeah, uh and Lex his arch nemesis has no power he's just a regular guy he's like super yeah. smart I think that's kind of why the jackal is such an effective bad guy because he's just so conniving and intelligent and a psychopath at his core the jackal wants to like i'm pretty sure he wants to own the solar system right well he might not care if it gets <laughs> lit on fire he wants to be the one who's able to light it yeah, yeah i don't like know though it's it. like whatever way benefits him the most I really liked nero actually like i think i just have a, a soft spot like in my heart for like the villain who takes the main character under their wing. Like I've always liked that villain. And so Nero is really, uh, I was very engaged with Nero. Like whenever he was on the page, I really liked him a lot. Um, I don't know about the Jackal. It, he, it almost feels like he's predictable in how unpredictable he is. Does that make sense? No, that does make sense. Yeah. yeah. That's like, kind like of what bothered me. Yeah. yeah. Like is like, this was at the Institute. The Jackal was literally crazy, evil, like horrible. And then the next book, like a year later, Darrow's like, I could probably trust this guy. Like, how bad it could he be? Like, well, he had to. Despite he said he was sorry like, him about him. <laughs> yeah. Well, didn't Darrow have to? Well, because like the uh, Nero drops Darrow, right? Like a band that isn't selling enough albums. You right know, just <laughs> we're done with you and you lost <laughs> one time you're out of here yeah um so nero drops darrow and so then victor and darrow have a conversation and you know victor says like oh this is basically your only shot like i mean there's really to be fair darrow doesn't really explore a whole lot of other options he super like, doesn't <laughs> he i super was about to not. like justify all of this and then i was like wait a minute he I guess waits he probably could one minute he's like really famous yeah um yeah like, why I did bet he go he to Lorne or something right and yeah. he, especially because they had such a great relationship apparently Off the page. <laughs> he knew he knew the the point that he could make and the rousing speech that was within him. Okay, one of my favorite lines, the defining line I think about the jackal is the jack is the quote. Uh, the jackal doesn't even look at Ragnar. Physical power bores him. I love that <laughs> line. Chills. Yeah, yeah, that's so good. Uh, yeah, um, I think I'm I'm gonna go ahead and say Severo is my favorite character uh, to read. I don't think he's the best character but he's my personal favorite character every time he's on the page i love it when he's there i think it make me howl 
uh darrow is kind of a grump obviously and it's fine uh his character calls for it but um we are in darrow's head a lot and yeah. like i said darrow kind of has one speed physically he's kind of got one speed mentally yeah uh, he's just you know he's just like oh yeah those that couple over there is having such a gory good time but my wife eo is dead you know it's just <laughs> it's so much of that it's just it's just so much like so he i would have found it yeah i mean right? he, he realizes starts... that they're he, that he made kind of a romantic thing that it wasn't out of his memory and like realizes the reality of it which i thought was kind of cool what i mean is that um being in darrow's head as often as we are as much of a great character i, th I think darrow really is an awesome fantastic main character for this yeah, series yeah but i think Severo kind of like balances the tone out a little bit you know like he brings a lot of levity to stuff like but it's it feels earned and it feels natural and it feels good when Severo's around and yeah. not only is but Severo's not just comic relief like he does serve that purpose but Severo's very Darrow deep too. yeah and he keeps Darrow honest um he's like a very good friend to Darrow he's not yeah. necessarily a foil to him I wouldn't call him that but I just think that what do you mean by foil, is, like a protector a uh, foil would be like a deserved opposite you know oh, what I mean got it um something like that but uh I, I just think Severo I don't know he's like the fun kind of unpredictable but he's it's like you know you can rely on him as a character but you're not quite sure what he's going to do next but you're right. excited that you're not quite sure that he, what he's going to do next you know like i'm not holding my breath whenever severo's around i'm holding my breath when the jackals on the page yeah you know? yeah i thought there was a pretty interesting conversation between the arch governor during that conversation darrow learns that he's going to be sold and the arch governor is talking to his counselor about his plans to create this like fake suicide bombers that would represent the sun that would pretend to be the sons of Ares and then blow up this like high kid density area. And then that would kind of like separate the reds from the terrorist groups and like undermine their whole situation. And then um, he says, um, well, he, his, his chancellor, his counselor calls him out and being like, we shouldn't become the evil thing. And then the arch governor says that there is no guilt when not when you're the judge and like whoa what a great line to show how above the rest the golds consider themselves but like not all of them because his counselor is saying like don't become that you know because he even persists and he says my liege our imperative to rule exists because we are fit to best guide mankind our cause is order because we and when we provide the stability the sons are anarchists their cause is chaos we should use that as our weapon who's right there Leto wasn't that the guy who said that I think I so. It was Pliny. Wow. Was it Leto? No, was it Pliny? Pliny's the shitty guy. Yeah. Is um, Leto is Leto uh, Augustus uh, Nero's kind of like actual golden son guy? It was, he was originally before the jackal murdered him. Totally. Oh yeah, he in murdered Leto too. In front of Darrow, who witnessed that, and then was like, "I will proceed to make deals with this man and trust his judgment and yeah, go with was... his ideas." <laughs> like, and then he totally won't betray me and kill me in front of everyone. Totally. Like, We're what homies the fuck? Now. Yeah. Yeah. He literally murdered him. And yeah, then he's you're, like, "You're not wrong. I'll hang with this guy." Yeah, I think of, of all the <laughs> silly things in this book, Darrow trusting Jackal to the extent that he does is pretty ridiculous. Right? Yeah, yeah. everyone warns him about him. Mustang's yeah, like, it's... "Do not trust my brother." Yeah. <laughs> Literally, she's like, "He is like, he's like a psychopath." She's like, yeah. "He used to kill animals just to like fuck with them." Like, 
he's crazy. Mm-hmm, and Daryl's yeah. like, I got this. I'm going to triple double cross him. So <laughs> see, he's not going to know that I know that he knows that I know. The, um, um, yeah, yeah, I got, yeah. Uh, but I did really like to circle back. I do really Sorry, love that yeah. conversation. No, 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 I do really love the conversation between the arch government. It kind of shows like the depth of his like willingness to sacrifice a few innocent thousand lives for the greater good of stopping the sons of Ares, or at least having the gold remain in power because they need to be the ones to lead humanity into their expanse. Though my favorite part of this conversation is while he, and then he like calmly turns to Darrow and he's like, by the way, I'm selling you, but he's throwing strips of meat to his pet lion. The whole conversation. <laughs> yeah. For him to snap his fingers before eating it, just being like, "Look, I am even king over the king of animals." Like, he yeah. was just, it was like a pretty, pretty badass power move. Yeah, pretty power power <laughs> move for sure. I did. I wrote a note during that conversation. I was like, "Wow, that's so cool of them to have this really detailed, intricate, strategical conversation about their future plans with dealing with the sons of Aries." right before firing Darrow. I was waiting for him to use that information to, like, get back at them in some way. But he didn't. No. <laughs> he did not. Darrow, <laughs> let him think he owns me. Let him welcome me into his house so I might burn it down. <laughs> yeah, bro. Like, and there is that continued, like, continued conversation after his victory like the parade thing that they had for him where oh, he was, that was basically a fantastic conversation yeah, yeah he but... was like he was thinking like he was like galaxy braining like he was like Darrow was like how many people would you be willing to kill like it's billions like all of them and he's like oh <laughs> numbers don't matter like it's not about numbers it's about humans being the ultimate species in the universe no matter what i don't know which is why i think that the jackal is such a better like i'm so glad that he's the villain because like i don't know like sacrificing the many for the greater good and we need to be i am the one to lead humanity into the future it's such a tired line or maybe i'm just saying that because i'm coming off the expanse which like is the line in that book so like i don't know but i just like the jackal being like kind of a psychopathic selfish person instead of the like good like the arch governor thinks that he is righteous and that he sh- he's the best one actually to lead humanity into the stars. I mean, to be fair, Augustus walks the walk, you know, because there is a moment where it's like right before um, Darrow hijacks the packs uh, and Nero says, whether missile or boarding craft come die yeah. like golds. Right. Like, I yeah. mean, he's ready to fucking die. Like he, he really does. Like it says, uh, not because he wishes us to think him strong in his last moments, but because he believes in what he is, a superior being, a master of his human frailties. Like Nero really does believe all of this stuff. But but Nero also, there's a failing with him too, where he, he believes it to the point where he's distancing himself from what actual reality is. You know what I mean? And that is like, it's a huge failing with authoritarians, you know, like you believe your own hype, you believe your own legend. And that's, that really happened to him. You know I mean? He he wanted to be in charge of 30 billion so people or what is it like 150 billion or some ridiculous number of people. Like he wants to take up that mantle because he's, he yeah. really does believe he's a fucking God, you know? And it's just, 
ah, this never worked <laughs> in any piece of media that I've ever looked at. So, you know, maybe maybe it would actually work That's in real life. That's kind but... of why I think nah. that it makes sense that the Jackal ends up being the, like, big bad. Because Augustus, or Nero, he represents this belief and this way of life and this system that not only he believes in but also so do like everyone else like everyone else also thinks like that in the sense that golds are like inherently better than everyone else and and all the other shit that he talks about but the jackal only cares about himself and so in some ways nero is actually a more difficult villain to fight because others will just replace him with the exact same beliefs but the jackal is just literally one guy and if you took him out that's the end and so i feel like it's kind of a for books or for like tv shows or something like villains like the jackal are easier to fight you're not fighting an idea or a belief or a system you're fighting the asshole who is killing people yeah because the jackal doesn't seem to have any and I, th I think that was it was really smart of pierce brown to have this this whole like monologue from nero at the end because nero like obviously it's a little fashy you know it's so <laughs> yeah it's, it's got a little it's got a little fashy spice to it um but yeah i agree with effie that like fighting an idea like what nero represents is a lot more difficult but with the jackal it's like it seems like his whole motivation is i mean up until this point has just been to kind of like stick it to his dad and seize uh, power for himself yeah but like what is he gonna do with it oh he's gonna get his cousin in the hand of the sovereign and run then take that her shit. out yeah, yeah. Run that but, shit. but like i don't know like it seems it seems odd that uh everything he's done seems to have like kind of this flavoring of like he never stops thinking about his dad Adrius is obsessed with his father. And so now that that's gone, and when Adrius has never really expressed any ideals, values right. of any sort, you know, I mean, like Nero really feels like all the ways that he feels. I don't want to read it all right. That's like four paragraphs long. But uh, yeah, the jackal, like, I don't know. What does he got? What is, what is there? You know, once, I mean, once I, he's in charge, like what is status I think quo? You're right. Like, I think he'll probably is... cry himself to sleep a few nights, but at the end, he'll, you know, there's like this what? famous quote nah. that says that like uh, every man dies twice, right? Like once yeah. when he actually dies and once when his father dies. And it's like, that really is like, you don't have Usually that in backup. The reverse order. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> but it, it weakens the point. So I flipped it around to make it more dramatic. Ah, um, totally. But, you know, it, it makes the point of you don't have that parental figure to fall back on, to lean to, to say, what should I do now? Truly, you are leading your own life. And I think the Jackal probably knew that unless he killed his dad, he would always be trying to do things to like raise himself in the eyes of his dad. He's like, I don't care that I want to make him proud. Like I do, but I don't. And I need to remove him from that so I can get mine. But what is his? Everything. But like everything. But what like but I, I what was that shown in this book you know what i mean nah, like, just that he wants more power and he's, he's willing just to do a, literally one of those like narcissistic yeah. psychopaths like sure, they yeah. all want the exact same thing which is to never die and to do that you have to be the strongest one 
like that's like father to be proud of them (laughs) or die either one (laughs) they either have to die or be proud of them can we just talk about how awesome the telemanus family is like so cool feeding jelly beans to the foxes like i just love them from all of it all of it i love them they remind me of the um the great john umber from a song of ice and fire like when he gets his fingers bit off by rob's wolf you know oh just, yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. they kind of remind me of the umbers you know they're just like yeah. fiercely loyal and like super funny and huge and just terrifying people <laughs> yelling you know? their name yeah. before going to battle like ah oh, that's where pax got it <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's really uh, cute so there's a really interesting like conversation it might take me a second to unravel this here but um lorne kills tactus right and darrow yeah. later tells him like admonishes him like you shouldn't have done that and Lauren's like, no, like men can't ever change. And Daryl's like, no, they can. And then at the end, Lauren comes up to him and says, like, I was wrong. You were right. People can change and I should have let him. But then he gets proven right. And that the jackal <laughs> doesn't rise above. Right. So I think the point being made there is like, like the price of loyalty, like pe- most people are redeemable, but there are some who are not like there is true evil. Like, but true evil does exist, and there are some points to f- from which people cannot be redeemed, and the jackal gives it goes there, right? I feel like this whole book was full of lessons for Darrow, or they were supposed to be. There were like these big road signs with like really big letters that were like, "Do not trust these people," and Darrow was just like kept driving past them, like, <laughs> "I'm gonna trust them though, maybe I don't know. They seem cool." And like this time and time again, they, he's like being betrayed or like he's being faced with someone else's betrayal by these people that he's like, I trust them. When I first read that sequence with like Harmony and Evie and how they had gone rogue and like radical and they were like, we're just going to bomb the shit out of all of them, like kill them all, <laughs> fuck them. And like he was like, whoa, this is crazy. This is not what I want. And I feel like that the real solution is somewhere between what Harmony and Evie were doing and what whatever Darrow's been doing. <laughs> like, like, like he needs to go kind of towards them in a sense. Maybe that's what the third book is, is like after all these betrayals and like all this bullshit, maybe he's just like, you know what? Fuck it. I'm going to kill all the golds. They all got to die. I mean, he does go between them. And, and then like, he marries on, Harmony. Like... And then they're just like, ah. <laughs> Once he gets he his like, support it, system, right? He's like, I haven't, I haven't positioned myself properly for the bombs to go off yet. And then once he does, then he iron reigns a planet. Like he starts taking things out so like yeah. i feel like he has kind of found that middle ground that you're talking about he just has needed to position himself first and gain enough um gain enough people on his side that when he True. destroys everything he doesn't have to destroy everything and then build society from the ashes he can kind of just destroy True. enough and then tweak it on a different path yeah because harmony is kind of on the same path that like daenerys was and she ended up killing everyone so she like certainly did <laughs> yes uh, I have a question. Did. I'm going to change it up just a little bit here. Uh, I have right. a question about Severo, and I wanted to ask both of your opinions on this. Um, do you think that Severo, the like the way that he sees Darrow, is different from the way that Darrow sees Severo? What do you mean? Darrow sees Severo as a confidant, as a friend, as someone that's loyal, someone he can be honest with. It's a very rare person in his life right now. Severo kind of sees Darrow as like a 
savior or like a and god a hero. it's like it's like a little bit above oh yeah like a really good friend you know what yeah I mean? like Sev- right. Severo he is, leans on him to give him direction yeah and Severo really does like he believes in Daryl like you would almost like you would believe in like not necessarily a god but like like right Jesus now. like right between like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, like yeah he's like a savior a hero you know yeah, yeah. um so like, do you think that uh, so we can kind of all agree that's the way that Severo sees Darrow. Do you think that that's like an unhealthy relationship? Or do you think that that's going to be a working relationship? I'm mostly asking Effie about this. Like, what do you think about that? I don't know. I'm worried because so far everyone that Darrow has trusted and that I've trusted has turned out to be like capable of murder and betrayal. You know, like with Roke, I really did think up until Darrow drugged him, I was like, oh, Roke is going to like be his guy, like him and Severo. It's like they're going to be bros for life. And then it's like that fell through. And so now I'm worried that especially because Fitchner died in the way that he did and the way Darrow is as a person, I'm like afraid that Severo's going to be like, fuck you. I'm going to kill you and I'm going to be the guy. I'm the guy. <laughs> oh, I don't think Severo wants that, but I do think that he's held uh, Darrow up to a standard that no one can possibly live up to. And so like eventually yeah. disappointment will come, you know? Yeah. And so then, but like his wrath, I feel like would be so beautiful. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because like he's such an interesting and unique character and he's also like very violent and capable and smart and i feel like if he ever decided that darrow disappointed him he could do some crazy shit <laughs> yeah. to get back to him <laughs> yeah you don't Let's want to him it. as your enemy that's for darn sure yeah i have a question um what are the stained uh so the stained so like there's like the obsidian uh class or whatever uh this the, the color yeah uh, the stained are like the elite fighting force or the, like the hell divers of the of the fighters. obsidians if you will like they're uh or like the peerless scarred of the gold they're like the top yeah that's of, a good way yeah they're it. like the top warrior elite class of the obsidians were they like genetically modified to be so uh, they have powerful? to they have to like pass like a trial but i don't remember if they're genetically like, modified i can't remember I mean, they're huge right and but that, that's not through gen- genetic modification i think it's more through selective breeding right they have to, like oh, bred yeah. huge people with huge people right um, yeah, maybe yeah it's like it's just as sad if not more so than the rest yeah you know? it's really bad it's a very uh, bad situation yeah because they were the only ones who almost took out the golds right and so the golds has subjugated their culture and the golds can kind of like purchase them but they're super expensive like they're they're like some golds can't even afford like a, a the stained yeah oh because yeah. i mean like that like that scene that chad read you know what i mean <laughs> like, like oh, they can yeah, just yeah, yeah. they can murder like 50 people in a row and like it's not even they're not phased by it you know um as like they're, a they're loyal because they, they also I, I don't know if it's all the obsidians i'm pretty sure it is but the obsidians so like the 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 pinks and the browns and the reds and everybody like they are definitely standing very much in awe of the golds because that's the way the society has been 
formed around them but the obsidians actually think the golds are gods right you know, like uh, that's a very yeah. key thing with the obsidians as well like like you know the reds have been kind of subjugated into being this workforce uh the reds don't necessarily need to think the golds are gods you know like it'd be nice no, but slaves. they don't they don't need to really but the obsidians because they're so dangerous they've been fed a lot of propaganda they've they've had their whole culture totally ruined you know it's Jeez. yeah so the standard I mean, they've at the been very reduced to like that correct me if i'm wrong but their culture has been reduced to like vikings in like the 15th century where they actually yeah. believe the gold are literal gods they've been given like griffins to ride they have like they live in this fantasy world of vikings of old and that and it's propagated by the golds who are gods and thus the obsidians must do what they say that's so sad i feel yeah. like that would also make them like really good allies if you could convince them that it wasn't true enter ragnar right <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah you he's are a good correct. ally <laughs> yeah the way that the book ended has me feeling like all hope is lost <laughs> like i'm like how can he possibly <laughs> yeah like how can yeah. he possibly recover from this <laughs> and where's mustang where the hell i thought that was so weird that everybody was like where's mustang where's mustang i thought that it, for some I, even though i've read i've read this you know I, i've definitely read this book i think this is my third time reading it uh but I, for some reason in my head, I was like, that's Mustang's head in there. But then I was like, wait, no, no, it's Fisher. I thought Fischer. that too. Yeah, yeah. Was, but that that would be. No, I thought that she was going to like come down with Cassius and be like, oh, yeah, Fuck that would have been wild. Like, I thought they were going to just be together and like everyone was against them and everyone knew that he was a red and like it was because of her. I didn't totally put it together until later that it was the jackal from through torture you you kind of blew my mind with that i completely <laughs> forgot that i mean i don't know if i'm like 100 percent right about the jackal knowing when daryl daryl was there but like it makes i sense. think it adds to know. his it character does. too yeah. okay cool like yeah. him his acting i just didn't want anybody listening to be like evan is so stupid it clearly says like right here but i'm pretty no, sure it doesn't that's it shows happened. harmony on like his screen that he turns off as soon as they come in and he's like listening to something he's like oh okay yeah um, and like we know harmony is like and daryl's just like they're totally having a conversation away. who cares like whatever <laughs> <laughs> um okay so i got a question that has been kind of befuddling me and i think i might have found an actual hole in the story uh, because i don't it. i can't think of a good answer to it why why oh why did finchner aka aries aka the one trying to overthrow everything save the sovereign from the scorpion when she lied to darrow why would she it's like the perfect reason to like let her like no fingers will be pointed at anyone she killed herself this is my theory behind this okay. and effie actually asked me a similar question earlier today that's um, because you and but, i are both brilliant effie yes you both very very much are um so <laughs> so i think what we need to remember while we're reading this book and i think into the next one and, and you know it's the thing that darrow has to keep reminding himself as well is that there's a certain way he's going to be able to most effectively dismantle this society right and he realizes it at the the summit and the way that he's going to be able to do this is if he pits all of these golds against each other. So mm -hmm. the Sovereign dying in that moment, I think Fitchner knew Darrow's plan 
and he understood that Darrow had kind of shifted his plan around to do exactly what's happening here. And if the sovereign dies, just kind of like accidentally, then this civil war is going to kind of simmer down and the effectiveness of the golds fighting and each other momentum. is going to be yeah exactly so like fishner understood that the sovereign had to be alive in order for the ultimate chaos to take place the ultimate killing golds on golds you know what i mean so that's my theory at least i mean while i think that you while you are literally correct i think that like <laughs> like you are but like man i feel like there's so many unknowns between fishner like thinking that and then that becoming a reality like like he didn't know that uh, Mustang had called Severo and the Howlers to come save him that right. night. Like yeah. there were so many ways that Maybe the did. plan can fail. That's like I feel like he would just like let the sovereign. Out. At least we'll take out the sovereign here and now. Though you're right, it would start like a huge power gap, and then that would start them struggling about the wrong thing. And like yeah, but like yeah, exactly. And and think about how like think about how that would logically play out, right? From Fishner's perspective, he's like, okay, so I kill the sovereign, then what? You know what I mean? Like, what we've got yeah. Lysander on here. We've got some kind of region situation. About in that half second like it's, too. It's it's almost it's it kind of is more variables if the sovereign died right there okay. than okay. if we had a civil war. You know, that does uh, make sense to me. Okay, word word. Good good job answering that. That was good. You. Yeah, because Effie <laughs> asked me earlier about that because um, Effie was curious about why. What was the question that you asked me earlier today? I think you asked like, why does Darrow want these families fighting or something like that? I honestly can't remember. That's okay. Okay. So I'm curious if either of you had any idea who Ares might be before he was finally revealed. I think on my first read through, I thought it was the Jackal. I think really? that's yeah, because I remember because then this read through, I remembered it was Fishner, but I remember thinking uh, that the Jackal was Ares because he seemed like the one that would benefit the most from the most chaos and he'd be able it would it seemed like the way he'd be able to undermine oh. his dad the most oh wow uh, so like yeah. In my, yeah in my mind that's I was intense like, i'm gonna start a revolution against but my dad still yeah. shit at the beginning <laughs> I mean, yeah, he was like 16 no, for sure it didn't like the math doesn't add up or anything but i mean like i was also like uh you know eight years younger and than like I am now truly too, maybe so, like, he's a mastermind that started super early i mean that's that's a maybe. fair like i don't see i mean who he, else he, he killed been, his brother when he was really young yeah you know and he like took his dad's to, money. He manipulated, yeah <laughs> like, what's gonna get invested in silver dad uh I, I honestly to answer your question had no thoughts of it and i would didn't remember that it was fishing <laughs> oh really even brain. this yeah. time no, i was like legitimately surprised when i, I was like Fitchner, no way this guy's everywhere <laughs> i forgot for a little bit but once severo was like oh yeah i'm totally in contact i was like oh yeah your dad is the okay cool yeah oh, really? i did <laughs> not but at that all. point when severo does bring that up he didn't even know that his dad was aries at no, that but point. i remembered that like i made the i just thought that was interesting that like he still didn't know even after being recruited by the sons of aries he didn't know his dad was aries does he not he said he didn't know until a day before darrow did yeah until like they revealed like a message to send to him or whatever mm. and then he gets um forces an answer yes. out of darrow. um why do you guys think that they let darrow keep his name like change everything about him but keep his name like what it's even like it's even mentioned that he has like a low brow name like what I think it's silly. It's I so thought that silly. was silly. I don't think there's any really good reason for it. Yeah, okay, there's my hole. <laughs> it had Hunger Game vibes. <laughs> Sorry. Did it give you the Hunger Game ick? It is did. It giving, is it giving Hunger Games? Yeah, every once in a while, the, the, the fact that this is so similar to Hunger Games like really spikes in my mind. 
Yeah. And that that was one of those times because Katniss did shit like that. Like she'd be like, I have to go save my sister's cat. I don't care who dies because of it. Yeah. And it's like, why? And yeah. and then people just like let her do it. Character like, shit development. Like that. In yeah. the name of character development. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we'll risk everything. Exactly. So he's like, I'm keeping my name. And they're like, okay. Yeah, they should have definitely been like, no, you're not actually. Yeah, that seemed crazy. Yeah. It's not especially worth he had no he starts... leverage. Yeah. They could have yeah. just been like, no. Well, especially after they went to all those lengths to make sure that yeah. the Andromedus name was like legit. Yeah, we're gonna remake everything about you except for your identity. Yeah, just, your just whole purely thing. for sentimentality. That's the yeah. only reason. That's literally Gross. the only reason. Yeah. Yeah. I, I thought that was pretty lame. <laughs> well, I'm glad we all agree on that. <laughs> yeah, way to go, team. <laughs> okay, so I've got one final question here before we can talk about some, I don't know, quotes and predictions of from Effie at least. Why do you guys think that Nero trusted Pliny so much. Like the guy's a snake, and it was obvious to me. And it's like, I'm going to read you the description of him. Pliny is described as someone who is a kitten of a man whose eyelashes would put a peacock's plumage to shame. A child could beat the living hell out of this beautiful man. Like, why would Nero, the like apex of man who values strength and like stalwartness, value Pliny? It kind of confused me. I mean, I don't think it has anything to do with his appearances, like his feminine qualities or whatever. I think it's more his belief in the society and the lengths he's willing to go to keep the golds in place. And and sometimes I think people who are in power kind of need someone to do the like conniving dirty work, you know, well, like that they don't want to like sort of thing. They just don't want to like deal with it. It's like a lot of scheming and plotting. I mean, Nero seemed pretty <laughs> schemy. He was the one who thought up of the plan to bomb the Reds. In yeah, and that takes like two areas. seconds to think about. Like, oh, let's just bomb them back. Like, cool. Yeah, I even wrote that, that down. I thought that was kind of lame. Like, for these really intelligent, like, oh, you don't think that's a smart plan? <laughs> I thought that was a really smart plan. Fighting terrorism with terrorism? <laughs> yeah. Not really. Making the, killing the Reds, <laughs> having them kill Red Reds so the Reds would stop supporting Sons of Ares. He's going to alienate them from their own so they're not even effective in what they're trying to do, right? Which is raise the Reds and invoke rebellion. He's going to turn them against their own. I think it's pretty smart. So to your question about why Augustus, or Nero, I should say, trusts Pliny, um, I think I think Darrow even brings it up to Nero and says something like, "Why? What? This guy's a leech. Like, what's the what's the deal with this yeah. guy?" So I think maybe what's going on here is that um, there's a certain order among the golds. There's a certain hierarchy of, among the golds. I think the explanation that Nero gives is something like, "I need. You know, he's just like some pixie. He he manages my affairs. He man like I need somebody like him." Like, it's kind of just like a given that these more bureaucratic golds are just kind of scummy, you know? So Nero, in oh, his okay. own confidence, doesn't actually trust Pliny, but he thinks he can, like, deal with him if he ever gets out of hand, you know? Like, he sees himself as much more capable than Pliny, but he wants somebody doing his busy work. His scheme, kind of like Effie said, to be his schemer. Totally, yeah. yeah, I agree with that, too, yeah. But, um, I, I mean, it's okay. not, like, super thoroughly explained, but I think that... Nero just sees Pliny as a lot more like kind of like pathetic and kind of just like a paper pusher, you know, and just kind of like this scummy dude that he kind of just keeps around. Pliny reminded me of the guy from Lord of the Rings who was the like... Wormtongue? 
yeah yes worm tongue yeah, yeah like i feel like every king character or king type character needs a slimy snaky right hand guy yeah yeah yeah. A <laughs> yeah so my last question is uh is pretty it's not even really a question this is a really cool notice uh what did you guys think of the game that octavia and daryl play where they're trying to make each other lie what did you think about that part I thought it to be a lovely bit of world building and yeah. to display the hubris <laughs> of the sovereign. And, and give a uh, ton of exposition on stuff. Yeah, you know? like, that was a, a brilliant of way of doing it was that. Brilliant. Yeah. It, was, it was tense. It was informative. It was awesome. Fantastic. Yep. Totally yeah. agree. And it was, but I also did think it was funny that it was another moment of these people in like extreme positions of power giving way too much information to this guy (laughs) and then just letting him walk out of the room like (laughs) i think that the sovereign was about to come after him i didn't understand that though because she really did seem like she wanted him and so then suddenly her i'm wondering if it made her decide to kill him instead i think events had started unfolding before the howlers got there is that what the sequence was yeah, I think that the I, I think at no point was the sovereign ever going to let Daryl live. He was too much a oh. wild card. He had too much power. I think Maybe. she was going yeah. to. That's why she was telling him all the secrets. Here's where all of my <laughs> I'm gonna kill you anyway. are. She's yeah. like, yeah, I'm going to kill you anyway, whether it's right now or later in your room. Hmm. Uh, yeah, it would explain why she was sense. so free with everything too. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That's it for me though. Yeah. I just want to throw out a few of my favorite quotes before we wrap up here. Sure. So I loved wise men read books about history. Strong men write them. It's not victory that makes a man. It's his defeats. And then I think that, Evan, you can probably uh, resonate with this one, as did I, which is you meet a man, you know him. You meet a woman, she knows you. (laughs) (laughs) What do you think about that, Effie? Do Do you feel like you know me, Effie? I feel like I know you. To finalize one of my favorite quotes, uh, because there's a lot and I could go on. And you guys did humor me and let me read like three minutes of quote earlier about Ragnar. But uh, so I'll end with this. What is the bloody damn point of surviving in this cold world if I run from the only warmth it has to offer? Ooh. And it was Aww. right before Darrow finally allowed himself to feel and act upon his feelings towards me. They fucked. Because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, it was so sad. I like literally teared up when... He was like, Mustang like challenged him, like, ask me to stay, ask me to stay. Then he looks down and when he looks up, he had taken too long to decide and she was gone. And I was like, dude, come on, Daryl, stop getting in your own way. You're allowed to be happy too, man. (laughs) He's tortured. He's tortured. What a tortured soul. Uh, Effie, so now that we're done with Golden Sun, uh, what do you think is going to happen in Morningstar? Oh, man. I mean, like, I feel like anything could happen. Yeah. (laughs) Like, I have no idea. Like, they... They, they're going to take him apart. They're going to kill him. He's going to escape. Cassius is going to marry Mustang. Victra is, I mean, like, it could be anything. Let me ask you some more specific no questions. <laughs> maybe, maybe it'll help if, if the questions are a little bit more specific. Yeah. Uh, so do you think Darrow is going to be, how do I put this, dismantled? I don't know if that's the right word here. Maybe it is. Do you think they can deconstruct Darrow? Do you think that's what they're trying to do? Are you worried that's going to happen? I mean, that's what Cassius said was in store for him was disassembly, right? Or yeah. dissection or something like that? Yeah, it's not dis. I use the word disassembly, but dissection. dissection. Yeah. They're um, curious as to how a red could become a gold. 
Yeah. Right. Cause he did it so well. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I feel like why wouldn't they? Do you think yeah. they're going to, do you think they're going to, do you think the golds are going to broadcast it? Do you think they're going to let the society what? know what happened? Oh, broadcast the fact that a red. Yeah. Did do you think they're going to let that gold? information out? Do you think it would be beneficial or detrimental to them? Um, I think it would be not good, yeah. not good to share with the masses so that they might get ideas in their own little heads to try. Those puny redheads. Right, because they can make him a martyr very easily, I feel like. Well, He's already that. got a lot of people on his side, right? A lot of allegiance. There's the martyrdom, and then there's also the fact that carvers could then be like, oh, that's possible? I want to try. And then like they start pumping out golds. <laughs> uh, so last question uh, in regard to your predictions. Are you worried at this point in, this, in the trilogy that Darrow's plan isn't going to work? I think that Darrow's plan so far or any of the things that he thought were his plan so far, I don't think that they will happen. But I also think that something about the golds, like I think that they will eventually. I think that Darrow's going to win. I just don't know if it's going to be the way that we've expected it to be or led to believe it could be, if that makes sense. You know what's really interesting, too, it is does. that... Um, so we have the sixth book coming out really soon, like in a couple weeks. Um, the world doesn't know how the story ends. Yeah, exactly. Well, that's the interesting thing too, is that Pierce Brown said he's working on a seventh. Oh, well, what? Pierce Brown? Yeah. <laughs> so, so Just finish it. Is it interesting that his last name is a color? <gasps> Whoa. Uh, you should have made the Browns that. writers, actually. Brown know, rising. Right? Uh, <laughs> Brown rising, that just sounds like a poop joke. Yeah. <laughs> um, sorry pierce we know you're listening and i apologize for what i'm hoping off. for is that the the sixth book actually is a conclusion to this series and that Me the too. seventh book is some kind of prequel or i think the graphic novels actually are prequels um or the comics or whatever people call them uh but i, I hope that the seventh book is some sort of like like ender's shadow kind of thing where he like, right, like a thousand the story years into the future Oh, that would be interesting too. Um, yeah. But oh, I hope yeah. that I hope the Lightbringer is the end of Darrow's story. That would be cool. Uh, if it's not, then we will definitely cover the seventh book when it comes out on the podcast. <laughs> it's going to be a little weird, but we'll add it to the playlist on YouTube. Well, I say I'm a little even... tired of Darrow, probably. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I've I've heard. Uh, I'm not trying to spoil anything for anybody listening, but I have heard that there are other point of view chapters in four and five. Oh, cool. Um, yeah, so I think That's we're only. Cool. I think this trilogy is mostly is all Darrow, but then things shift around a little I bit. Think but that's I, good. I don't know it if that's even. I haven't done like any research on books four, four and five, like intentionally, because I don't want to. I don't want to know anything about those books. But I have heard just through the grapevine and osmosis and stuff of me being on the internet that books four and five and maybe six have different point of views. So that'd be pretty cool. I really love that we're all going into the second half of this. Not knowing anything. Yeah. Yeah, oh, I like that you guys easy. don't know. Yeah, then it'll be. I remember even. the end of Morningstar, and I th I don't. I'm really curious to see what Iron Gold and Dark Age are all about. I've heard uh, again, this is all just kind of like my the the cloud of information that I see on the internet with regard to books and stuff. But I've heard that Iron Gold was a a little bit of a disappointment, but Dark Age is really good. So hmm. I don't know. I'm curious to see how we all feel about those when the we time comes. We will see. We definitely yeah, will. Anything that you can say, and if you've listened to any of our previous podcast episodes, you will know that I have the phrase of a good snow globe shake. And 
that is a <laughs> event which changes the entire framework. The t- entire paradigm of a story gets flipped on its head. And there is nothing, no better example than the last chapter of Golden Sun for a good, an example of a good snow globe shake than that yeah. chapter. Wow. It really I turns agree. it all over. And uh, yeah, yeah everybody, does. thank you so much for listening to this episode. That's going to wrap it up for all of us. Uh, join us on the next one for Morningstar, where we get a lot of answers to Effie's questions, <laughs> some answers to mine and Chad's questions, too, because we don't remember literally everything about these books. So. And I remember barely anything. Yeah, thank you, so. Evan and Effie, for being <laughs> awesome and joining us, uh, me on this awesome Red Rising adventure. Yeah, You're thank welcome. all of you thank for you. it. Thank you. Thank yeah, you for having me. Of course. Of course. And thank you to everybody here that's been listening to these episodes so far. We have quite the journey ahead of us. Uh, I'm curious to see what book six is all about. This is going to, we're going to be in a very different place in about four weeks. Um, Oh yeah. Everything's going to change. Everything will change. But (laughs) until then, everybody changed. Uh, go go on, go read go read your Red Rising books, go read Morningstar. Uh, Chad and I will be covering Malice by John Gwynn, the first book of The Faithful and yeah, the Fallen. Pretty soon. We're doing an episode on that in the next couple days. That should and be we'll have soon. Half a King coming out in the few yep, next few first days First book well. of The Shattered Sea. And uh, yep, we've got all kinds of really cool stuff coming. But until then, again, thank you so much, everybody, for listening. Hope you have an awesome rest of your day. And of course, happy reading. Bye, everybody. Bye.